tieflings and tabaxi, high elves and halflings, barbarians and bards. Welcome back to Raw School. Open up your player's handbook as we take another deep dive into the magical and mystical world of Dungeons and Dragons. Class is now in session. You know, and I'm just like replaying the, our new theme song in our head because I love it so it's much. So and incredible. I know, I know that that's like so like gauche to say because I wrote it, but it's also like, oh my God, it's so much, so cute. Are you kidding me? It's not gauche because every time I listen to it, I'm like, wow, my British accent is <laughs> oh my really God. good. <laughs> Wait, that's you? I thought it was Julianne. Oh my God. We got Mary Poppins um, to come out and record for us. It it's amazing. it's seriously though like your voice is perfect and <laughs> I didn't even plan this like because I wrote that song before you recorded your intro <laughs> and and like the part where you say the mystical magical world like the the chord changes yes! and I didn't even plan that so okay we'll, well stop done now. us yeah <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back to Raw School. <laughs> Um, well, okay. So Anna, we've done an episode on overall, like making an engaging character tips. Mm -hmm. We've done a race discussion and a class discussion. Mm -hmm. So what's left? How about some ability scores? How about putting it all together in the character sheet? Oh my ah! God, character sheet. <laughs> okay. Now I've talked about this before on the podcast. I am in... I'm crazy and I'm sorry for using <laughs> pejorative terms, mm -hmm. terms about mental health. I am a huge mental health proponent, so I apologize, but I am crazy <laughs> about making my own character sheets. We're not going to get super into the nitty gritties about how it looks, but no. we're going to talk about the main things you need to put into the character sheet. Right. No matter what your character sheet looks like, there's some information that goes in all character sheets, right? Like there's some information that's common to all character sheets, no matter how it looks visually. So that's what we're here to talk about. The, the final piece of the puzzle, if you will. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah. So, um, now you may be asking yourself, where do I get a character sheet? They're online for free. Yep. Um, if you type D and D character sheet, you'll probably get, um, uh, like the main D and D character sheet that, uh, is sort of like the standard sheet. Now I don't really like that one because it, it just lists all of your skills and doesn't group them coherently. It's just, and it just looks like a splattering of numbers and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, so on drive through RPG, there are these class specific character sheets that are fucking phenomenal. I apologize. Um, I, I will get the name of the person who made them when we post this episode, but um, uh, they did a really wonderful job. And then what I did basically was using a PDF program. I went in and just tweaked things as I wanted to make the sheet custom. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So Anna, wh what are we, what are we filling in here? What's the big, the big, the big thing we need to know for character sheets? Gosh, once you've got the sheet in hand, that typically means, you know, what race and class you're going to play. Uh, how about a name? I feel like that's, that's kind of important. What, what, <laughs> what are we going to call name? you? <laughs> what? What is this? What What's in a name? Uh, a rose by, a rose any, by any other, other name, name would still smell as sweet. Sweet. Yep. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so your name can be Rose or your name could be Buttfart yep. and it would smell. The or same. it could be Rose Bartholomew Buttfart. And that is going to okay. be my next character now. Cool. 100%. A fight Set. human fighter <laughs> named Rose Bartholomew Buttfart. Buttfart. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously like this is where you're going to put all that stuff, right? You're going to write down your race, your class, your, your name um, and all those things. But what is a character background? Well, so we have talked about backstories, right? Mm-hmm. We spent some time talking about backstories. Those are different than backgrounds. Backgrounds are actually provided for you in the player's handbook. There's just certain categories of backgrounds and they they give you things. Joe, do you yeah. want to tell us about what kinds of things you get when you pick a background from the player's yeah. handbook? Absolutely. So like Anna said, it's just another source of of skills. It's a source of equipment, of gold. Um, So you you just pick a background. And my favorite thing about this player's handbook is that the book even says you can work with your DM to come up with your own background, which is so great. Um, Umbra, the... (laughs) Rogue Warlock, I talk about all the time. I used a unofficial background of an engineer um, and she's a little tinkerer and she has proficiency with tinkers tools and and whatnot. So I, you do not have to necessarily use one in the player's handbook. Just talk to your DM. And there is a plethora of uh, homebrew and unofficial backgrounds online. Um, but you with your background, you'll get probably at least two skills to be proficient in, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, you might get another language, um, a, a tool proficiency like uh, thieves tools or disguise kits. Um, you might also get just some random stuff. Maybe you'll get a letter, uh, a sealed letter from a noble um, or a nice set of fine clothes. And hey, you'll probably even get a little bit of gold ranging from five to 25 gold to start out with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we won't go into all the different backgrounds because there's a bajillion of them, like we said, but just know that they exist. And if you have questions about it, talk to your DM, but definitely worth reading over. And if you want an idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about backgrounds, you can start on page 125 of the player's handbook. That's where mm-hmm. the background discussion begins. And using the written backgrounds as provided for you in the player's handbook is a great way of helping shape your character's personality, help shape your character's backstory. Um, you can integrate all of the things that are contained in the background to, to help you form the person that you will be playing. Yeah. So, and, and again, like examples, criminal, alkalite, guild artisan, charlatan, charlatan street urchin i always think of uh, aladdin <laughs> when i read that one riffraff street rat <laughs> Ooh, that um, was beautiful thank you <laughs> um so uh yeah okay now you may be asking yourself there's a lot of boxes there's a lot of things what are ability scores what's proficiency okay let's break it all down for mm-hmm. you so anna what are ability scores so Ability scores, there's the big six, right? So you have strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. And then there are sub-skills that come with these uh, ability scores, which can include, you know, saving throws in each of the ability scores. Or if you're looking at dexterity, it'll include things like acrobatics, sleight of hand, stealth. These are skills that rely on an individual's dexterity 
to to be applied, which is why they fall under the subcategory of dexterity. So for the big six ability scores, that's what you're going to be filling out first. And Joe, would you care to fill us in on the various ways you can fill out those ability scores? Sure. So there's two main approaches to how you go about filling in ability scores. Um, Now, uh, oftentimes the book will show uh, that you can roll for certain things. Like you can roll for your hit points every level. You can roll for different types of things. You can actually roll for your ability scores. Um, The the most popular method that, that people use, I'm not sure if it's specifically in the player's handbook, but you roll four D6 and you take away the lowest. And that is one of your six scores. You do that six times and then you plug those in to the six numbers. Um, but that depends on whether your DM is actually using that method. So it's imperative that you talk to your DM and ask, hey, how are we deciding ability scores? One of the most popular methods is called the 27 point buy system, which is on page 13 of the player's handbook. And that actually um, basically distributes, uh, it gives you a pool of 27 points. Now it's important. It's not one to one um at, at the more points you add to a category the the more you have to buy into it um so instead of costing instead of going from one to one it'll go from like two to one uh but look on page 13 read that section and get familiar with it here's how i like to conceptualize ability scores and anna you can tell me if this makes sense or if this is ludicrous <laughs> but Think of ability scores, think of 10 as as basically plain Jane, right? 10 is you are completely average in everything. So you would not add a modifier to any of your abilities. It's just a zero. Uh, in reality, the 10, if you think about 10 as a zero instead of 10, it kind of makes much more sense in terms of what your modifier is. Now, I just said a lot of things. What does that mean? <laughs> a modifier is just uh, as you increase a score like dexterity, you will get a modifier number that correlates with that. And that will be able to be added to any rolls you make for skills or saving throws that rely on dexterity. But now how do you determine what your modifier is? So the rule is that for every even number, you add a plus one or a minus one to your overall modifier. Okay, let's let's use that in a in a calculation now. Okay, so we said we start at ten and your modifier is zero. Um, let's say you're you don't care if your character is very intelligent, so you're going to bump then down to an eight. Well, once you go below ten, so eight or nine, your modifier goes from zero to negative one. Once you bump. 10 up. So let's say you want your character to be really strong. So you start out at 10, you bump them to 11, then you bump them to 12. Well, you hit the next even number. Now it becomes a plus one. So if we take a step back at 12, 14, 16, 18, and 20, you're adding an additional plus one to your modifier. And at anything below 10, below eight, below six, below four, below two, you're subtracting one from your modifier. So that is confusing, but honestly, this whole thing is kind of confusing and it doesn't really make too much sense until you like sit down and do it. Right. Right. Anna, is that- I, 
I completely agree. And, and this is, this is typically how I do this because, uh, we do the point by system. So when you think about having 27 points to play around with the chart at the bottom of page 13 tells you what each of those little, little bumps up or down from, from 10 cost you. Right. And so they're not all one-to-one. So what I typically do is I'll fill in eight to all of my all six of my ability scores, right? And then now I know because eight costs me nothing at all in a point buy that I have 27 points to work with and I can distribute those the way that I need to. So if I am a charisma-based character or if I am a wisdom-based character, that's where I'm going to be spending a lot of my points versus elsewhere. And so when we talk about the modifiers, like Joe explained, right? So if 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 there is a ability score that's a 14, that means that there's a plus 2 modifier. And mm-hmm. that is significant because if I if somebody if the DM asks me to make a uh, uh an intelligence roll for some reason, and I roll a d20, a 20-sided die, and I roll say I roll a 12, but I have a plus 2 modifier, that means I get to add two to my roll. So I go exactly. from 12 to 14. And that's what I tell my DM. I'll say I rolled a 14. Even though my die says 12, my modifier is plus two. Yeah. So so modifier really just means how we're modifying the D20 roll. Are exactly. we adding or subtracting anything to it based on the distribution of our ability scores? Now, Anna... We have this other layer now called proficiency. Mm-hmm. Do you want to discuss what proficiency means? So when you pick your race, when you pick your background, you'll notice that it'll say you have proficiency in animal handling, sleight of hand, intimidation. It, it can pick any one of those skills that's listed on the character sheet And depending on what race, class, background you choose, you gain proficiency in certain skills. Now, there's something called a proficiency bonus, okay? And at level one, everybody gets a proficiency bonus of plus two. So if something says you get proficiency in sleight of hand, for example, and your dexterity big number is, say, it's a 12, That means I automatically get plus one to sleight of hand because it's a skill under dexterity. And if I have proficiency in it, I get to add two more to that. So when I roll a sleight of hand check, I roll a d20, I get a 14 on the die. I then add three to that. And now suddenly I've actually said I get a 17. And that's what I tell my DM. Yeah. Uh, Your proficiency bonus is just how proficient you are in your various skills. And you can only add that bonus to certain things. Um, Later on, we'll discuss when you're making attacks, whether it be with a weapon or a spell, um, you also add your proficiency bonus to things that you are proficient in. Like if you're proficient with swords, you add that bonus to making your attack with a sword. Um, But 
the good thing to know is that a proficiency bonus goes up the same across all classes. So everyone in your game, when you level up, the the proficiency bonus will scale accordingly when you hit certain milestones. So at from first to fourth level, it's plus two. From and then beginning at fifth level, it's plus three. And your player's handbook and your class, um, the chart that you see on the class description page will show you what your proficiency bonus is at each level. Yeah. So this is all really confusing. It's it's not going to make sense super easily, but there is one website I use every single time <laughs> I'm making a character, even if I'm not using the, the point by system, to be honest. And it's called the D&D 5E cal- point by calculator. Um, it has a weird URL. It's like chicken dinner chicken or something. Chicken dinner, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Um, but uh if you go to that website, it lets you pick your race and that because your race will often give you a bump in, in one or two or three of your ability scores. And then it plugs that into a calculator and lets you add points using the 27 point buy system so, so that you can get the full sort of fleshed out version of, OK, here's what all my final ability score, scores are. And then it shows you the corresponding uh, modifiers as well. So highly recommend using that website. Absolutely. Yeah. So Joe, we've talked about ability scores. We've talked a little bit about how to fill in our modifiers for our skills, especially when we have proficiency in them. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what it means when it says passive perception? Sure. So passive perception. Now we talked about this when we talked about ability scores that you start off at a 10. Why a 10? That's how the game creators decided where to start counting. Um, What your passive perception means is what you are able to sort of pick up without really trying, what you're able to perceive without trying. Really, you can add the word passive to any one of your skills, passive performance, passive insight. Um, It it doesn't really matter. The most common one we use is passive perception. All that means is that you take your modifier, including your proficiency, if you are proficient in perception, um, and you add that to 10 and that number becomes your passive perception. And it's basically like on average, you would get that number uh, if you were to roll a d20 20 times um, so or 100 times, whatever. So let's put numbers to that. Let's say you have a wisdom score of 16. You're playing a cleric or a druid or a ranger, something with a that's a wisdom based spellcaster. Um, so if you're at a 16, then that's a plus three modifier, right? Because it goes 12, 14, 16. So that's a plus three points above 10. And then let's say to perception, you chose to be proficient in that at first level. And we'll say you're a first level character. So we know that for all first level characters, your proficiency bonus is plus two. Well, two plus three is five. That is your overall modifier to the perception skill. So you add five to 10 and your passive perception is 15. And basically it means that you would detect things that would require a 15 roll if you were just wandering around looking at the world around you. Excellent. Yeah. So a brief note, just this is the DM in me. I sort of, uh, I always want to like, just like give these little tips. When you're, now that we've covered ability scores, we've covered race, class, and background. When it comes to skills, your skills will come 
primarily from your class and your background and sometimes your race. Not mm-hmm. all races have skill proficiencies, but most do. The best way to go about deciding what types of things you want to pick to make sure you don't accidentally double up on a skill is to start with background. So you you, you have this image. I want to play a rogue. Okay, great. So maybe my rogue is, yeah, this person's a criminal. Cool. Use the criminal background. That's going to give you proficiency in stealth. Um, that means that your rogue, as a rogue, when you're picking your skills, you know you don't have to pick stealth as one of the things you're proficient in because you get that from your background. Right. Now, now let's saying let's say in addition to that, you want to play a half elf. Well, half elves get skill proficiency and I believe three skills of their choice. Mm-hmm. Well, again, you don't have to pick stealth as one of those because your background gives it to you. Um, so just be conscious of the order in which you're looking at those three big sources of information for creating your character and just be careful not to like double up on something. And it's typically just a good idea to know what your three are, what your background is, what your class is, what your race is before you start putting together your sheet so that you can avoid this exact thing. So when you have an understanding of what you already are getting automatically by your choices, what you're getting proficiency in, when you're given the choice, right, when it says pick two other skills and you have proficiency in them, you will already have an understanding of what you can and can't choose because you want to avoid doubling up. Uh, in addition to all of the ability scores and the skills that we've discussed, you're going to see something that says hit dice and mm-hmm. hit point maximum. So we've previously very briefly talked about what hit points are. It's essentially, you know, if you if you play video games, it's the health bar. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's how many points you have before you are down. And when, in in this in D and D, when you go down to zero hit points, you don't automatically just like die forever, but you are unconscious <laughs> and mm-hmm. can't uh, can't attack or or can't engage. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, First, we want to talk about hit point maximum. Mm. So that's pretty much, you know, what does my number look like when the when the life bar is full? And Joe, do yeah. you want to tell us a little bit about how that can be calculated and how it changes depending on what kind of uh, character you build? Sure. Yeah. So the hit dice range from a D6 to a D12. Um, your your quote unquote squishy characters like your sorcerers and wizards, your magic users tend to have um, lower value hit dice. Um, and that's, be, you know, the reason being they can they, they're going to be back in combat, not necessarily up in the fray. They can use magic to help protect them. And they may have a higher constitution score to maintain concentration on spells, which is going to give you a little bit more um uh, to your starting health pool. Um, as you, the highest, uh, hit, hit dice goes to barbarians, um, you know, typically not wearing armor. Uh, uh, and so they have just a really large, uh, health pool with a D 12. Um, and, and your, your fighters and paladins are at D tens. Um, now you talk to your DM to determine how you are going to handle hit dice in, in your game. But whenever we talk about hit dice, here we're talking about that dice that's used per level to to add to your overall as anna said the overall length of that health bar every level you get to add points to that 
health bar, uh, and it's determined by your hit dice. Now, you may be in a game, if you watch Critical Role, uh, whenever they level up, they always roll at the end of the session to determine, um, uh, you know, uh, what 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 they could get. So if you are a barbarian, you're going to roll a d12. If you're a wizard, you're going to roll a d6. Um, but the player's handbook actually just has a calculation in it. If you just want to take the average and not, not worry about rolling super low on that dice. So for level one, you start out with the maximum possible for your dice. So if you're a cleric or a druid, that's going to be a D eight sorcerers, wizards, D six fighter, D 10, yada, yada, yada. Then on top of that, you add your constitution modifier, which we've talked about modifiers previously. So you know that your constitution modifier will be plus one, plus two. It could even be minus one. Who knows? Now, when you get to for, for all levels above first, work with your DM. You're either going to roll for those at the table and add your constitution modifier, or you're just going to take the average as described in the player's handbook. And typically the average in the player's handbook rounds up. So if you have a D eight, you take five instead of four. If you have a D 10, you take six, yada, yada, yada. And you add your constitution modifier to that, um, to get your maximum pool of hit points Add all those numbers up. And that's what you get. Awesome. So let, let's put that in practice, right? So I am building a character that is a sorcerer, which means mm -hmm. my hit dice is a D6, right? They're they're one of the squishier characters. Mm -hmm. So to start out with at level one, I get six points plus my constitution is a 14, which means that my constitution modifier is plus two. Mm -hmm. So six plus two, I get eight at level one. But Benevolent Joe, my DM, is letting us start out this game at level four. So mm -hmm. I cal I'll calculate for each level going up by using the average, which means that I already know I have eight. I'm going to set those aside. I'm going to keep those as I move on to level two. At level two, I instead of rolling my D6, I've chosen to take the average, which means I start out with four, right? So the average of a D6 is going to be half plus one. So I'm going to take four more points plus my constitution, which means I add two more to that. So now I'm adding six to my eight to get 14. Yeah. Yes. So at level two, my hit points are going to be a maximum of 14. So let's keep going because I'm going to be a level four. So when I go to level three, again, I do the exact same thing. I get four plus two, add another six to that. And now I'm at 20. And so by the time I get to level four, my hit point maximum is 26. And that's how we calculate hit points. Now, if your constitution modifier should go up at any point during the game, it's important to note that you add that extra point for every single level, not just starting at when your character got the modifier increase. So you would add basically one point for every level that your character has gained. So one times your character level, add your character level to your overall hit point maximum. Awesome. So Anna, now... I'm seeing something on my character sheet that says AC. What does that mean? Uh, so an AC means armor class. Okay. So imagine this as the number that is required for something that's attacking you to hit you. And Joe, would you like to tell us how we calculate armor class? Sure. So again, we, we've talked a lot about random things picking the number 10. 
Um, and, and if you think about it, it's because 10 is sort of the average roll on a D20. I think that's the, how the whole game was sort of structured. Right. So every every humanoid that, that you come across, if you're naked, um, with the exception of certain humanoids uh, uh, races that actually get a buff to their AC, your AC is going to be 10. Um, so if you're a human or an elf in D&D, you're, if you're running around naked, that means that a creature has to roll a 10 or higher in order to do damage to you. So that basically means like if someone were to punch you and they only rolled a nine, maybe they still hit you. Like your DM might say, oh, well, they hit you, but um, you're so sweaty from being naked that their hand just like slides right off your body <laughs> and doesn't do any damage. Um, whereas on a 10, they're going to connect and you're going to lose some hit points as a result. Um, now there's, as part of your character class, you might get access to armor. You might get access to spells like mage armor that add to your overall, um, uh, armor class. But the general rule is that a 10, it's 10 plus your dexterity score. So let's say now, instead of just being a human or an elf, you're a human or elf. That's a character in D and D and you have a dexterity of 12. Well, now your armor class is 11. Um, so take a look at uh, the types of armor when you get to select those with your class. Take a look at the spell mage armor if you have access to it. Um, certain uh, classes like monks and barbarians will actually calculate um, uh, AC by for barbarians adding your constitution modifier in addition to your dex and for monks adding your wisdom modifier in addition to your dex. Um and again, the general rule is if it meets, it beats. So the creature, if it meets your AC, then you're hit. And a really cool thing is if you can buy a shield and you're a class that, can, <laughs> that has proficiency in it and can wield a shield, um, every time you have the shield up, you automatically get to add plus two to your AC. So it, uh, as a sorcerer that I'm describing, I have exactly as Joe described, I have a 12 to my dexterity score. So I only have a plus one modifier, which means that my AC right now is 11. Um, if I had proficiency in a shield and had a shield on me, then it would go from an 11 to a 13, which means that anytime that a creature or a monster or another humanoid or an enemy of some kind attacks me, they roll their D20. And if they get a 12 or lower, they can they don't hit me. But if they get a 13 or higher, then they do. All right. Um, well, why don't we just briefly talk about initiative? What is initiative? So initiative is going to determine where you fall in the order of combat, right? Okay, so when you enter into combat, you'll hear your DM say, roll for initiative. And the way that you calculate initiative this can change from DM to DM, but the way that the player's handbook describes it is whatever your dexterity modifier is, that's going to be the number you put into that little initiative box. Mm -hmm. So as my sorcerer that I have open right now, because I've already said my dexterity modifier is a plus one, I put a, I put a plus one in the initiative. So when the DM says roll for initiative, I'm going to roll a D20. And if I roll, say, a 10, I add one. And then my initiative becomes 11. Mm -hmm. Every person, every character on the board, your allies, your enemies, they are all going to roll that d20 and add their dexterity modifier. And then you order them from highest to lowest. 
and then the highest number gets to act first. Even though, as we've previously described in combat, each round happens over the course of six seconds and the actions are happening simultaneously, obviously, when we get to actually playing, that that wouldn't make sense if everybody's talking over one another and everything is happening at the exact same time. So in order to determine who gets to act first and in what order, we use the initiative yeah. And in re- in reality, an, an initiative check is just a dexterity check, um, which means, Anna, I don't know if you know this, but bards, which have an ability called uh, Jack of All Trades, actually get to add half their proficiency bonus to their initiative rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in addition to your dex, you also get to add that if you're a bard. Um, but that also means that if, let's say, you're, you have one level of exhaustion and have disadvantage on ability checks, that means you have disadvantage on initiative rolls. So it's just important to, to, to remember that that's, that's where we're getting initiative from. It's just your dex. Uh, it, it's a dexterity-based ability check. Well, let's see. Maybe it just it makes sense just to briefly talk about, um, just because this has to do with ability scores and skills, your your attack bonuses when you're attacking either with a weapon or even with a spell. Um, so just briefly, and maybe we can go go over this more like in an episode all about like gear. Maybe that would be a fun like episode yeah. we can do. But in general, when you're trying to attack something, you're going to add your proficiency bonus if you're proficient with that. And normally you're only attacking with things you're proficient in. Uh, so let's say you're proficient with a short sword. So a short sword uh, is a weapon that can use either strength or dexterity as it's a, as it's uh, modifier. And it, that's because it's a finesse weapon. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about gear, but let's just say you have a short sword. Well, you're good. And you're, we'll say you're a first level character. Your proficiency bonus, as we know is plus two and let's say you have a higher strength than you do dexterity. You're going to add your strength score to that short to that uh, proficiency bonus. And let's say your strength is a 16. So the modifier is a plus three, just like all the other uh, skill checks and, and roles we've been talking about. You roll your D20 and you add your proficiency and strength modifier. So that is a plus five in this circumstance. And that is what you rolled to hit the other creature. And your DM will tell you whether you've hit or missed. And just like you have an AC, just like you have the armor class, which determines what your enemy needs to roll in order to hit you, so do the enemies, right? So they have their own AC, and if they have an AC of 16, and you roll a 15, but then you get to add 5 for what we call a dirty 20, that means that you've hit, which means that now you can roll your damage dice to determine how many hit points you are taking away from your enemy. Yeah. Um, and actually the same math goes for casting a spell attack. So let's say you're casting the Eldritch Blast cantrip because you're a warlock. Well, to attack, all you would do is roll the d20, only this time instead of adding uh, strength or dexterity to the attack, you're going to add charisma because a warlock is a charisma-based spellcaster. All the, the, the type of spellcaster you are and what ability score you use will be described in your... Uh, character class page in the player's handbook. So in this circumstance, you're a first level warlock. And let's say you have a 16 charisma. That's a plus three to as your charisma modifier. Two plus three 
is five. Same thing as our fighter hitting with a short sword earlier. So you roll a 15 on the dice, you add five, get that dirty 20. Uh, and yeah, you're going to toast that goblin for show. And then there's also something called a, a spell save DC, which means that if you do a spell that requires the creature that you are attacking to make a spell save or a saving throw, uh, there is a certain number that they have to hit or get higher than in order to not take whatever damage you're trying to throw at it, right? right. So an example of this is the Sacred Flame Cantrip, mm -hmm. which requires... So if I cast the Sacred Flame Cantrip, then the person that I'm casting it on has to make a... Dexterity. A de that's right. A dexterity saving throw is what it's called, right? So they roll a d. Uh, they roll a d twenty. Whatever number they get, they can add their dexterity modifier. So if it's a plus one, they roll a d twenty. They rolled an eleven plus one, they get a twelve. But if my spell save DC is higher than that, say it's a sixteen, then they don't save and they have to take whatever damage I roll from my spell. Now, the way to calculate the spell save DC is actually really simple. Whatever number you had as your spell attack bonus, so if it was a five in the example that Joe said, you just add eight to that. And then yep. whatever that is, five plus eight, 13. 13. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, that, <laughs> It's all right. That is your spell save DC. So anytime you make you cast a spell that requires the other party to roll a saving throw, they have to roll at least a 13 in order to not take that damage or in some cases to take only half damage. Yeah, or or be charmed or any other number of effects that can happen with spells. Well, and I think we've covered the main points of the character sheet. Um, again, I highly recommend looking for these class-specific character sheets. They're like $1.99 to buy on DriveThruRPG for the entire set of them. Um, it's a great bargain. Um, and I really think that this is just such a better way to conceptualize how the numbers work. And I am a huge proponent of when you're starting out in D&D, even for your first handful of characters, do them this way using a character sheet instead of relying on an online program to do it for you. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and you're also going to see other things like languages and, and proficiencies in different types of tools and, and other things. All of those things will be described in, in your background, your class and your race. Um, uh, just, just read the player's handbook. All the information you need to know is there. And the glossary is a great place to look if you want to learn more about a specific subject all right well should right. we should we formally assign our pupil her task i think so <laughs> i think she has chosen both her race and her class so sandra when you hear this episode you have been assigned your homework assignment and you are going to be putting together uh, your very first character sheet. Yay! So to help you all, um, and, and also to for uh, to enable us to give you some more feedback and tips, um, we're going to review Sandy's character sheet on air. Hopefully next week if we can get her on. Yes. So, um, and we've we've already given her the Paladin class specific character sheet. Um, so she's going to fill that out, and then we're going to make fun of her. I mean, yep. I mean, we're going to grade uh, I, I it. Mean... <laughs> 
We're right. going to encourage her. <laughs> encourage her by making fun of her. Right. A yep. little bit. Um, no, but this process is complicated. I promise you, as you make more characters, it gets easier. And honestly, if you're like me and you geek out over like different types of builds, I'm putting together this really cool <laughs> fighter sorcerer right now. Um, uh, it's it's so much fun to do this because you yes. really get to like tweak all the numbers in it. Ooh, it's so fun. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll join us next time when we grade uh, Sandy's character sheet and learn some more about putting together your character. Yay. Class is dismissed. Dismissed.